following sermon is by Andy Lake, the senior pastor of Liberty Bible Church. This program, Grow in Liberty, is the preaching ministry of Liberty Bible Church in Vienna, Ohio. Liberty Bible Church places a priority on the Word of God over all else and has a desire to share truth with believers and non-believers alike. Our prayer is that as people tune in, they would come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Join us as we grow together through the Word of God. Open your Bibles, if you would, the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter number 13, please. As you're turning there, for those of you who perhaps have not gotten word, our friend Brother Joe Strait went home to be with the Lord about late uh, late in the night, and so be praying for uh, Sister Connie and the rest of the family. Um, it's always a difficult time to say goodbye, but we have hope, and so we don't have to say goodbye. We'll see you later, right? It's a beautiful thing. Were it not for hope, <laughs> we would be the most miserable people on the face of the planet. I have the honor and the privilege of doing a lot of funerals, and I've talked with Pastor McCracken about this as well. And There are times where you're called upon to do the funeral of someone who you have no idea their spiritual condition. And some of the saddest times is at those funerals where they have no idea what's taking place next. They have nothing to hold on to. We have hope. <laughs> it's a celebration. He's kicking up gold dust right now. <laughs> and so we can thank the Lord for that. Hebrews chapter 13. We've been in the book of Hebrews now for over a year. It's been a good study. It's been a fun study. I've thoroughly enjoyed this. This is one of my favorite books. But now we come to the final chapter, and let's read the first six verses of chapter 13. Let brotherly love continue. Be not forgetful. To entertain strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember them that are in bonds as bound with them, and them that suffer adversity as being yourselves also in the body. Marriage is honorable in all, and the bed undefiled. But whoremongers and adulterers, God will judge. Let your conversation be without covetousness, and be content with such things as ye have, for he hath said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee, so that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Father, I ask for a special blessing now, not because we deserve it, 
but because of your Son. I ask, Father, that you would touch the ears of the hearers, touch the mouth of the speaker, that, Father, we would hear from you. And that, Lord, this morning as we get into your word and we begin our final uh, rounding of this book, that, Father, you would spark in each and every one of our hearts a desire to live for you. Father, that we would live lives of worship, not just once a week, but daily giving ourselves to you. It's in your son's name we pray these things. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. This morning, the question that I kind of wanted to springboard with uh, is simply this. What does a life of true worship look like? And what does it mean to truly worship the Lord? And I think we uh, oftentimes get into our minds what worship is because it's what we do before the preaching time. We even refer to different portions of the service as the message portion of the service or the worship portion of the service, right? We, we sometimes try to separate that the singing time is when we worship God, the preaching time is when we just simply learn about. No, my friend, everything connects. The time that we spend focusing on His Word is worship. The time that we spend praying for one another is worship. The time that we spend singing the praises of God, that's worship. But it doesn't just take place on Sunday morning between the hours of 10 a.m. Yes, I said 10 a.m. because we have Sunday school typically at 10 a.m. If anybody would like to come at 10 a.m., we have a Sunday school teacher that is here by 10 a.m. to teach a message or a lesson at 10 a.m. Guess what? We have Sunday school. And so there's more than just this bald-headed, chubby fellow that's going to be bringing out the Word of God. There's other opportunities for us to, guess what? Worship. It's not just a one-and-done situation. But my friend, it doesn't just start and stop on Sundays between the hours of 10 a.m. and 12-something or another when we get out of here. Right? Some of y'all like, just say 12, and I'm going to hold you to it, right? That's the difference between worship and just showing up. I love my wife. I don't set my clock on how long I'm going to spend with her. The worship of God should be no different. Well, I schedule X amount of time a day to read my Bible, but as soon as that timer goes off, I'm done. Ooh, really? Wonder how that would go, men, if we treated our wives that way. Okay, honey, I'm going to listen to you for 15 minutes, and in mid-sentence, that timer goes off. That's enough. Some of you all thinking that's a good idea, I know, but I'm just letting you know that ain't going to fly, Right? Worship continues beyond the last amen in a church service. It follows through in every aspect of our life, every portion of our life. A gentleman did a survey amongst some of his students in a Christian college, and the question was simply this, 
Who are the most difficult people to reach with the gospel? Unanimously, the answer was those who were raised by fringe-attending parents. Those who showed up when they felt like, okay, I've got something to do at the church, so I'm going to come that day. Those who showed up on on occasion. Those who just made it, well, we're only going to make it on certain services, and the rest of the time it's really not that big of a deal. Those children were raised by parents who they watched say they believed something on certain Sundays, but didn't actually put it into practice the rest of their life. And they're the most difficult people to reach with the gospel of Jesus Christ. As we come to the 13th chapter of the book of Hebrews, we enter into something that sort of, if you, if you keep with the idea that this book is written as a sermon, you know, we now come to the portion where he's making application. Okay, so he gave us all the, all the detail, all the uh, stuff at the very beginning of the book, which is a lot of deep uh, theology. He gave us all the doctrine there, and then he started to give us the practical portion based off of that theology. Here's what we can take practically. When we get to verse 13, it's sort of like that, those last few things. It's almost as if the writer of Hebrews needed to address some things, and he says, before I address them in chapter 13, I'm going to spend 12 chapters giving me a good foundation and a good footing for what I'm going to tell you to do based on the why. And so the first 12 chapters gives us the why. Now, anytime, anytime we present what a Christian is to do, we should always have a foundation of why. I can tell you, thou shalt not do this, thou shalt not do that. But have you ever noticed, you know, God gives us the whys behind all the what's? The first 12 chapters are your whys. Now, based on that, we get now into the development of since we have this complete understanding of God, His glory, Christ's work, our position, our future hope, our present realities, all these things, worship, once we have an understanding of that, worship is right behind. And so I want you to notice with me again, Verse number one of chapter 13, and this is where we're going to really springboard into everything. Let brotherly love continue. This is where he really wants to just kind of start, do this, do this, do this, do this. And if anybody says, well, I don't have to do that, all you got to do is he says, well, do you remember what I said back here in chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12? And you should do that. As we read this, we're going to look at three basic things. First, he, he, he uh, encourages them, exhorts them to not be self-centered. Second, he, he exhorts them to not be impure. And then third, to not be worldly. And we may think that that's simple. We know we shouldn't be self-centered. We know we shouldn't be impure. We know we shouldn't be worldly. But do you realize how hard it is for us to actually put that into practice? Think I'm crazy? Go home and survey the stuff we have. And then come back next week and tell me, I'm not worldly. (laughs) I I can take you to our house. Man, we can fill a dumpster 15 times over with the stuff we don't need.
Let's look at the very first part of this in not being self-centered. I want you to understand that a life of worship brings our eyes off of ourself, directs them to God, and gives you the desires of God. This is what a selfless idea is, a life that is, uh, that is surrounded by worship. The more I worship, the more my eyes are focused and trained on God, the more that I am turned to him, the less I am worried about myself, the less I am worried about the things that I have, the less I'm, I'm thinking about any of that kind of stuff, my own personal feelings, my own personal wants, my own personal desires. I'm going to be focused on him, and because I'm focused on him, I'm going to notice what he's focused on, and I'm going to focus on that as well. It's really pretty simple. Not easy, but it's simple. Get your eyes off yourself, put them on Christ. Well, what's that got to do with brotherly love? I'm glad you asked. As I begin to focus on these things, the idea of brotherly love here, it is the Philadelphia Okay, it is that Philadelphia where everybody's like, I went, to, I went to school, I know what Philadelphia means. City of brotherly love, right? Brotherly love. The idea is not, man, I love you like a brother. No, it's because you're my brother, I love you. You see, there's a lot of people in this life that maybe I feel like, well, I, I love you like a brother, but there are, are some out there that, you know, if, if my actual brother was needing a kidney transplant, I'd be happy to sign up for it. But that guy over there, I don't know about that. No, the idea of brotherly love is not loving like, but because of. In other words, those of us who are of the household of faith may at time, from time to time frustrate us. <laughs> Let's just be honest. You've been in church for any amount of time, there's somebody going to frustrate you right? Am I the only one that feels that way? If you are like, nobody frustrates me, you're probably the one that frustrates everybody. Just put it out there. But we'd be willing to die for one another. Lay our lives down. Oh, and that guy just, ooh, he just goes right through me. Well, but I die for him willingly. Lay my life down for him. This is the idea that it, that is bringing about. I want you to understand something. Familial status, social uh, uh, situations, race relations, none of that can compare to the, uh, to the uh, connection and the relationship that we have through Jesus Christ. I don't care what sport team you like. I don't care what sport you like. None of that matters. It doesn't matter to me who you voted for. I really could care less. If you are a child of God, you and I share the same blood, my friend. There's no better, no better connection than that. We've got to get it right. I want you to notice the second part here because fellowship that is based on anything other than uh, the person of Jesus Christ and love for one another will not last. You find a fellowship with someone because they, they like the same TV show you like, Guess what? There's coming a day where that TV show may stop airing and they're going to find a different TV show and you're going to find a different TV show. And you guys aren't going to have a whole lot in common anymore. Maybe your favorite sports team 
You guys get along really good because you love the same sports team. And we cheer. We wear the same colors until they move to a different city. Right? Fellowship based on anything other than Christ and a love for one another will not last. The second part of this, let brotherly love continue, and then verse number two, be not forgetful to entertain strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. This entertaining strangers is simply being hospitable. That's tough for some of us, isn't it? Hospitable? I don't want my family coming to my house. You think I want them coming to my house? Right? Hospitality. Just be careful to entertain, to be hospitable to strangers. Because some have entertained angels unaware. This angels, this word angel, angelos. You know, the word angel, angelos, can be translated as angel, as in like a spiritual being from heaven, but it can also simply be translated as an envoy or a messenger. And so when I read this where it says, be careful, you might be entertaining angels unaware. You could be trans, you could be uh, uh, entertaining Michael or Gabriel or just somebody sent from God to deliver a message like, I don't know, Nathan the prophet when he put his bony finger in the king's face. We need to be careful that we don't turn away the messenger of God. I'll never forget, we had an, a situation one time where um, we invited a lady over to the house, and she uh, sat, she had dinner with us, and I had something in my mind and on my heart that I wanted to do, and I thought, man, this is a great idea. I believe that this is a good, godly idea. And of course, my wife is standing there going, this, no, it's not a good idea. And But I wasn't listening to my wife, because I was a good husband, right? I'm a spiritual leader. I don't have to... Li- and then this lady comes in the house, and I, just, I mentioned it to her, and I was expecting her to take my side. That woman blasted me with Scripture and let me know, uh-uh, don't do it. I remember the next day sitting down in my study going, you know, Lord, you gave me a godly wife to listen to. Thank you for sending an angel. To wake me up. It wasn't a bad idea. Just wasn't a good idea. <laughs> Entertaining angels unaware. I want you to notice this next part here in verse number three. Remember them that are in bonds as bound with them, and them which suffer adversity as being yourselves also in the body, keeping with this idea of not being self-centered, not, not worrying about other, you know, uh, uh, putting other people out and not, uh, uh, you know, worrying about yourself so much to where you're not willing to entertain strangers. Also with that, verse 3 says to show support. Now, we need to use caution not to misapply this part where it talks about remembering those that are in bonds as bound with them. It's not saying that we ought to have a bleeding heart for every criminal. I'm not saying we shouldn't desire to take the gospel to them. 
but it's talking specifically in the context of those who are born again by the Spirit of God suffering for the cause of Christ. In this day, when this was being written, there were people being thrown in prison because they simply associated with the things of Christ. And they were jailed for that. Listen, somebody knocks over a liquor store and they're in jail, that's okay. It's where they need to be. Maybe they'll find Christ there. You don't know. What it's talking about is associating with those who are being persecuted, those who are in bonds because of the stance they took. Think about this for a moment. Let's say somebody in our church, and, and you know, we don't get it because we're in, a, in, in America and we don't see it on a regular basis. But I, can I just be honest with you? It's coming. It's coming. And we need to get our head out of the sand and realize it's coming. But think back to this day when they were being thrown into the Colosseum. They were being uh, uh, crucified for their beliefs. They were being uh, persecuted horribly because they associated with the name of Christ. A lot of people might not have been so quick to go visit them in prison. Because if they were taking food to this prisoner who associates with the name of Jesus, they too might be found and thrown in prison. And so the danger was, well, while he's in jail, I'm I'm just going to kind of, I'm going to stand over here and, you know, know, my coworker might be standing for the things of Christ. I'm just going to fly under the radar. He says, no. Remember them, stand with them as if that was you. I want us to really take this seriously. We need to use caution not to misapply it, but the point that is being made here is in reference to the believers who are imprisoned because of their faith to stand by them, to bring them aid, to care for their loved ones. Maybe next time someone of the household of faith is fired because they took a stance on God and His Word, don't be so quick to act as if you don't know them. Somebody's getting persecuted at work because they said Merry Christmas or because they wore a shirt one day that had Jesus' name on it. Don't be so quick to distance yourself. Stand with them. Let's move on now, though, to the second thing that he's exhorting them, not only to not be self-centered, but look at verse 4. Marriage is honorable in all, and the bed undefiled. But whoremongers and adulterers, God might, no, 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 that's not what it says, will judge. Will. The exhortation here is to not be impure, to pursue purity. 
The home, I want us to get it, the home should be the first place that the life of worship is exhibited. It should be the first place you practice worship, and your purity must be a priority, must be a priority. We are claiming the name of Christ. Our home should reveal that. Our homes should be the first place that people are able to look and see this person claims that they believe in the shed blood of Jesus Christ. They claim to have the shed blood of Jesus Christ applied to their life. They claim it, but do they live that way at home Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, or only on Sunday morning? Purity should be a pursuit of the child of God. It's time for us to wake up. It's time for some of us to just shut the TV off. It's time for some of us to get rid of some of the music that we so love because it's not pure. It's time for some of us to quit watching certain programs, to quit renting certain movies. It's time for us to enact some purity in our life and quit saying, I'm pure, I'm pure before God, and yet Monday through Saturday, what we have on our cell phones, what we have on social media, what we have on our television, what we watch on our movie time, all the different things that we do is not pure. Pursue purity. Jesus said, if you look on a woman with lust, you've committed adultery. God will judge that. Come in on Sunday morning. I have decided to follow Jesus until Monday morning when days of our lives is on that I have decided to watch my soaps. No turning back, preacher. No turning back. Right? Well, pastor, I mean, I'm good with the rest of it, but (laughs) I'm invested in this over here. You do you. I'm going to do him. I'm going to follow Christ. Your home should be the first place that you practice worship. Your priorities ought to be your relationship with God and then a godly marriage and then a godly parenting pattern and then everything else can fall into play after that. And if my children are watching me not put Christ first, not be obedient to Christ, I've got to get rid of that and pursue purity. want us to understand that whenever marriage and the home are diminished, it's a guarantee problems will follow. Guaranteed. The home, the nuclear home, the nuclear family, not nuclear, okay, but the actual 
family that God instituted, fathers raising their children, being, being that oneness within, within that relationship with one another. That is something, whenever that comes, whenever something comes in and disrupts that system, problems follow. And you can't try to make it something different. You can't. It doesn't work any way other than the prescribed way of that Jesus Christ presents before us. Yesterday, Brother Dave brought some crosses over. I don't know if you didn't want anybody to know about it or not. Too bad. You should have told me. And we, we put them up on the wall. Man, they look nice, don't they? We got them up there. Sister Ruth has got these reeds going. I almost forgot what it was called. <laughs> And it just, it just looks nice. What if we didn't have a drill and some screws, but we had, a, we had a box of nails? And we're all looking at each other. We've got nails and we've got a cross to hang up. And someone said, well, we don't have a hammer. I said, Dave, let me borrow your phone real quick. I guarantee you I can nail a nail into the wall using his cell phone. I can make it happen. I guarantee it. And if you think I'm lying, somebody loan me a phone. We'll do it right now. I can make it work. I can use that phone as a hammer, my friends, and I can just take that nail, put it in the wall, and just slam, 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 slam. Ain't gonna work too good after that, but I'll make it work as a hammer. Just because I can use something else to accomplish the goal doesn't mean it was meant to be done that way. And then when I finish and I hand the phone back to Brother Dave, and he looks at it, and he wonders, I wonder why it doesn't work anymore. And I say, I don't know, it worked fine for me. And so he goes back and he calls Apple from his wife's phone because his isn't working at the moment. And he asks Apple, why isn't my phone working? And Apple says, because you didn't use it the way it was meant to be used. We didn't create that phone to be used as a hammer. We created it with a specific purpose and a specific intent. And there's a lot of people trying to use God's marriage for their own purpose, their own intent, and wonder why it doesn't work. Your home isn't going to work till you follow the instruction manual. Now, here's the beautiful thing about it. God loves taking broken situations. You ready for it? <laughs> and going, I can use that too. But the longer we try to fix it ourselves, and I'm looking at it, hang on, Dave, I think I can glue this screen back together. It's not going to get any better. I've got to send it back to the maker and let him 
fix the problem. I want us to notice something else about this. It lets us know that God will hold us responsible. You can take it to the bank. He will hold you responsible. Understand that some result in physical problems. You can look back at Romans chapter 1. You can find some of the problems that they entered into. Romans chapter 1, right into chapter number 2. You can find some of the problems when God just gave them over to it. Some lose rewards. Read Ephesians chapter 5. Before the marriage part, because leading up to the marriage part, pretty important too, you know. Some people lose rewards. But think back to how people's sin played out into their family. Think back to the Old Testament. David thought he was just standing on a rooftop looking out and seeing a pretty girl. David thought it was just going to be about him and the girl. And look at the ripples that went through his family. You're sitting there, you're wondering, well, what ripples, preacher? Pick up your Bible and just read. His family was ruined for generations because of his sin. Parents, don't think for a second you can live in your sin and ignore truth from the Word of God and it not affect your kids. Problems are going to come. Third, look at verse 5 and 6. Let your conversation be without covetousness, and be content with such things as ye have, for he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee, so that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. The third part of this that he exhorts is, don't be worldly. Don't be worldly. I was talking to some people before church this morning, and I said, I've come to realize any time I complain, it's because I'm thinking about me, not everybody else. Well, I don't like, well, I don't appreciate, well, I don't want, well, I don't. Think about the other person. <laughs> I remember at uh, our former church, this lady walks up to a visiting family who happened to be sitting in the spot she always sat in. Now, God love her. I love her to death. She was a sweet lady, but she didn't have a volume control. And she looked at her daughter and said, they're in my seat. About this far away from them. <laughs> I'm just sitting there, and I, said, I looked at Sarah, and I said, come on, come on, come on. And I got up, and I said, well, it's okay. You can have ours, because we sat right in front of her. That was our seat. I said, it's okay, you can have ours. I'm like, oh, these poor people ain't never coming back to this church again. Whenever I complain, it's because I'm thinking about me. But I want us to notice when I love God and I love others the way I should, that brotherly love gets in. I'm pursuing him and I'm pursuing purity. Material things just 
don't mean that much anymore. Bible talks about the conversation, let your conversation or your manner of life. I want us to understand that the more this world's economic and ecological problems uh, take place, there's going to be two responses. God's people are faced with two responses to this. Your first response is going to be jealousy and envy of what others have. Okay? Okay. I see what somebody else has. I see the things that they like. I see the things that they espouse. I see their nice fancy car. I see their nice fancy house. I see their nice fancy clothes. I see their nice fancy husband, ladies. I see whatever it may be. I don't know. And I'm jealous. And then this thought creeps in. How many of you have heard this one? Well, I deserve those things. I work hard. I deserve to have a nice car. I work hard. I deserve to have nice things. I work hard. Don't be that way. Don't be worldly and caught up in all those things. So the first response, jealousy and envy of what others have. The second response is the more palatable for those of, uh, who call themselves Christians. Realize that this world offers really nothing that I need. I, I can get by without the fanciest of things. <clears throat> Take the world, but give me Jesus. Because the beautiful part about this is seen right there at the end of the verse. He says, let not your lifestyle, your conversation, be without, let your lifestyle be without covetousness. In other words, wanting what others have. And be content with what you have. For he has said, I'll never leave thee nor forsake thee. This is the hinge pin to it. Well, pastor, it's easy for you to say those kind of things, but you don't know what I have. Yes, I do. I know exactly what you have. You have Jesus Christ if you're born again by the Spirit of God. And that ought to be enough. Well, I don't have as nice of a house as somebody else does. I don't have as nice of clothes. I don't have as nice of shoes. I don't have as nice a face. I don't know. You have Jesus. He says he's never going to leave you nor forsake you. Those clothes, they're going to rot. They're going to get brittle. They're going to tear. That car, it's going to rust. Don't have to trade it in for something else down the road. Quit work. Quit being in such a hurry to get into more payments. Gee whiz. I got a new car. Mine's paid for. (laughs) I've got Jesus. That house is going to need some paint here before too long. It's going to need a new roof. Jesus says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. So let's look at this last little bit in proclaiming Christ. Let's proclaim it 
boldly. Notice verse six, so that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. How do we boldly proclaim this? Well, the first part goes back to letting brotherly love continue. My fellowship based on the love of Christ, my hospitality for others, and the support of my fellow laborers proclaims a life that is helped by God. How are you able to love the unlovable? Because God does, and he helps me. How are you able uh, to, to be hospitable to those people? Because God is hospitable to me, and he helps me be that way with them. I, I, I just don't get it. I mean, how are you able to support people and to be willing to stand with them, knowing that you too might be thrown in prison? <laughs> because God says, he'll never leave me nor forsake me. What's a prison cell going to do to me? He'll be there with me. The second, a life that pursues purity above personal wants and desires proclaims a life that is fully relying upon God and not self. Sometimes we just need to learn to say no. Nope, God's enough. I don't need that. God's enough. I'll do it his way. And third, we proclaim boldly by living a lifestyle that is not trying to keep up with the world's standards of living. (laughs) I'm not trying to keep up with the Joneses. I'm just trying to follow Christ. Is he your help this morning? Or is your job your help? Is that new car your help? Is that hobby your help? Is that drink your help? What's your help? Well, I need this, Pastor, in order to... (laughs) You have Jesus. You have Jesus. You know, it's one thing to say that the Lord is my helper and to slap a bumper sticker on your car saying God is my co-pilot. It's another thing for your life to boldly proclaim, I trust him in everything. Completely. And so when I don't understand, I don't fully understand what, what, it, what I'm supposed to do here, but I know God's Word says to do it this way. I don't, I don't get it, but I'm going to do it that way. I live a life of worship. That's worship. My love of others. I'm worshiping God when I do that. My hospitality to people is worshiping God when I do that. My standing with the brethren is worshiping God. My pursuit of purity and shunning anything that would drive me down the road of impurity is worshiping God. 
Not only that, but my lifestyle of not having to have the latest and greatest, but being content with Jesus Christ is worship. So as my life of worship grows, I can say it was God who did it. Not me. Loving others, being hospitable, so forth and so on. All of it comes by the Lord. But I want us to get this. A lack of that kind of lifestyle reveals a life lived by themselves. In their own power, in unbelief, I don't trust God enough to live this way. but I trust myself enough to make the right decisions. So it works both ways. So how's your worship? When we look at it from this angle, and it's not about raising a holy hand and singing, I have decided to follow Jesus. That's part of it. But on Monday as well as Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, back on Sunday, no turning back, no turning back. Though none go with me, still I will follow. Though none go with me, still I will follow. Though none go with me, still I will follow. No turning back. Have you turned back? Are you following? Or are you following when it's convenient? A missionary was visiting another group. They were under a lot of persecution. The missionary and his wife brought a lot of things over to them and let them know, we in America are praying for you. And you know their response? Thank you, but we're praying for you. And they said, wow, thank you. And they said, no, you need to understand what we're praying for you about. We're under intense persecution. You're not. You're comfortable. Americans are comfortable. And their statement was this, and it shocked them to their core. It's more difficult to be a good Christian when you're comfortable. When things shake, and the only place you have to look is up. Where can we go but to the Lord? Father, I humbly come before you, Lord, asking you to maintain control. Maintain control, Father, of this service, our hearts, 
that, Lord, we would not be turning away from what your word is saying to us right now, but that we would be determined to apply it to our life. Father, I, I, I can't help but wonder, is my life truly a life of worship? What part am I struggling with this morning? So, Lord, I, I ask that you would burden every single heart in this room with an area that we need to work on, be it in an area of self selfishness or in an area of, uh, of lack of being willing to stand with, with one another. Perhaps, Father, it's just in, in, in being so wrapped up in the things of this world Father, perhaps there are some here battling impurity. Their home is a wreck because of what they're doing. God, I'm going to ask you to squeeze the souls in this room. Father, that there would not be a single person who can walk away from the wooing of the Holy Spirit of God saying, hand that over. Father, that we would live lives completely given to worshiping you so that we too may be able to boldly say the Lord is our help. Father, forgive us for relying on ourselves. Forgive us for not being bold in our proclamation of the gospel. Be careful, Lord, to praise you for it. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. You have been listening to Andy Lake, Bible teacher with Grow in Liberty and pastor of Liberty Bible Church. We pray that you were challenged today and encourage you to share this message with your friends and family. If you were motivated in some way to grow in your walk with Christ, please drop us a line and reference the title of today's message. You can access us online at growinliberty.org. Email us at together at growinliberty.org or send us a letter to Liberty Bible Church, 2111 Sodom Hutchings Road, Vienna, Ohio. 44473. If you would like to support Grow in Liberty financially, you may also do that at growinliberty.org. Thank you so much for joining us today.